They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb up out the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I called my nephew earlier this week because his birthday is coming up on November 9th and I had been for years flipping his birthday around my niece's birthday. My first niece whose birthday is on November 12th, the birthday of Russell Westbrook. I did not know that until recently. So I was either saying my nephew's birthday was on November 9th or November 15th. And oftentimes, much like I did telling you about my niece, even though I won't forget my niece's birthday, I assign something I know I won't forget to remember birthdays of people who I love or who I care about, which that's my mechanism. Don't judge me. Might not be the coolest thing, but it happens. It's the best way to do it, and at least I do it. I talked to my nephew a little bit, found out he's about to turn 16 on the 9th. I said, what can I assign to that that would have me remember it always? And then I recalled that 30 years ago, this November 9th, the release of two of the greatest rap albums of all time happened on the same day. Into the Wu-Tang, The 36 Chambers, and also Midnight Marauders by A Tribe Called Quest. And my involvement with both of these projects and groups is pretty well documented. I think I talk about it from time to time on the show. And I will sum it up toward the end of the podcast, let you know what's going on on that day. But my nephew's birthday is November 9th. And I said, dude, what do you want for your birthday? Because he's reaching that threshold where you stop getting young adults gifts for their birthdays. And he's going to be 16. He's reached that threshold. He goes, oh, I don't need anything, Uncle Will. I'm cool. Which means I'm going to give him something anyway. So we talked about, you know, some gaming stuff. Kids game. He's a big Fortnite guy. And also kids love kicks. So that's on the menu as well. But to ensure that maybe I should do the same and employ the same kind of technique to what I'm doing with the podcast this week. And if you didn't know, you're now listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks of One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood. Come to a neighborhood near you soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. But right now exclusively at anchor.fm a part of the Spotify network. So when I'm looking at applying the same technique to maybe talking about basketball and attaching it, especially during Hip Hop 50, as I do, because I can't separate basketball and hip hop culture. They are always going to be married and I cannot divorce them and they won't divorce each other. But when I think about the news of this week, some of the things that happen around the league and in different basketball arenas, whether you're talking about college basketball, the WNBA, whatever, Song called The Tink Crack Commandments by Notorious B.I.G. Because we love List. We love List. And trying to assign it in a way that made sense. So I'm going to try something. So work with me, not against me. We're in beta testing right now. 
You have to understand that there are 10 crack commandments and outside of the number one, because you got to start off with one, I'm probably going to eliminate the odds so I can get even. I've been in this game for years. It made me an animal. It's rules to this shit. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step -step booklet for you to get your game on track. Not your wig pushback. Rule nombre uno. I don't know how you pronounce nombre, but whatever. Never let no one know how much dough you hold, because you know. The cheddar breed jealousy, especially if it's the NCAA, which is not a notorious B.I.G. lyric. I took liberties, obviously. As Chicago State's five-star recruits, Matt and Ryan Bewley, both of Overtime Elite in Atlanta, are said to have had contracts that made them professional and make them ineligible to play at Chicago State. Now, one, let me put this in perspective. I can't name the Chicago State mascot. So somebody must be giving them real money for five-star recruits to play at Chicago State, of all places. That's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is, the NCAA, they are ineligible to play because they were earning way over what their expenses should give them. They were getting like $33,000 a month to play down there. Always patting somebody's pockets. NCAA, Debo, whatever. That's rule number one. Number two, never let them know your next move. Don't you know the bad girls move in silence and violence? Take it from your highness. Uh-huh. Liz Cambage, the Glamazon, formerly of the WNBA, is now there striking out on her own, getting the bag the way she knows how to get it, playing three months in China. I'm going to say this name right. Shishuan? It's not Sichuan. Shishuan? Anyway, $1 million to play three months. I'm not mad at you just find out about it so i guess she's not moving in silence and violence right now but she's not above using it let's be clear on that number four i know you heard this before never get high on your own supply unless your name is the general robert montgomery knight rest in power to the great coach most notably of indiana university 29 years there three national championships 1976 the last undefeated team to win the championship in ncaa history 1981 with Isaiah Lord Thomas III and 1987 Keith Smart with a big jumper on the baseline against Syracuse, the Orangemen of Derek Coleman and Ronnie Cycli, if I'm not mistaken. I'm a big basketball nut. Don't pay attention to me. Well, yes, you should. Anyway, Bob Knight also won the 1984 gold with a guy he said was the best player of the NBA before he played a minute in the NBA. Yes, I am talking about St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington. Bob Knight is not one who gave up gas easily. Very passionate guy. Definitely got high on his own supply because he did it his way. It didn't work for everyone. No one way does. He did do it his way until his way wasn't cool, wasn't in vogue anymore. Maybe coaching time and technology had passed him. But success did not. So rest in power to Coach Knight. Number six, the goddamn credit, dead it. You think the NCAA is letting you slack? Shit, forget it. DeAndre Williams from the University of Memphis has been told that he has no more eligibility. He is also 27 years old. His story is well documented. We talked about it a couple of times in the podcast. At 27 years old, he is definitely a professional student down there. Want to play another year at Memphis. They're like, yo, go get a job. Sorry, Penny. You lose Mikey Williams, and now you're going to lose DeAndre Williams as well. <sighs> going to be tough down there in Memphis, but I'm sure his recruiting class is pretty solid, and he's going to compete at any rate. Speaking of any rate and number eight, that rhymes. Always keep some Inescus on you. Them cats that shoot them jumpers can rock kicks too. Sabrina Inescu, who Nike says she has the only unisex sneaker in their lineup. That doesn't make sense 
Air Force Ones, your unisex, so like, I don't know, whatever. Uh, you wear what you want to wear, but it helps them to market and sell these. They're hot sneakers anyway. I think what's encouraging here is that guys in the NBA are rocking these sneakers of a woman, which is dope. I guess at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. If your sneakers are hot, they're going to rock them. You see Mikel Bridges of the Brooklyn Nets, Mikel Brooklyn Bridges, rocking those sneakers, and also Drew Holiday, Boston Celtics, is rocking them. And Jordan Poole, who I'm sure we'll talk about later with our special guest, is also rocking those kicks. Hopefully, my players from Full Court 21 will have an opportunity to rock them, male and female, because they are hot. So, number eight, remember that. Always keep some nescues on you. And number 10, a strong word called refinement, strictly for live women, not for freshmen. Yes, Paige Beckers is back after multiple injuries. The player who I said should have challenged the hardship rule in the WNBA is back, trying to secure her spot, not only on the NCAA stage and winning the championship with UConn, but also getting prepared for the future with the WNBA. So we wish her well. She just She's going to play an exhibition game this evening, as a matter of fact. And I'm looking forward to a great season from Paige Beckers because if you ain't got the clientele, say hell no, because they're going to want their news, views, and truths, rain, sleet, hell, snow, and come back for more of that on the other side of this with our special guest on The Open Run with Will Strickland. Back giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Rose Strickland in conversation. The great and immortal Warren Ward. I would call you multi-hyphenate. There are so many jobs you have. That's the reason I would call you that. Whether you're working with the Scarborough shooting stars of the CBL or CSN or Raptors 905 or see. But you're Jamaican, right? No. You're not Jamaican? No. I'm I was about to say that boy got 13 jobs. No, no, no. I'm Guyanese. Well, my parents are Guyanese. Right. So check it. Welcome to the podcast, Warren Ward. Thank you so much for having me, man. Glad to be here. OG. Glad to be here. Listen, it's always good to see you, man. Got a chance to kind of chill with you this past week. Just getting ready for this thing. If you would, please, as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes on the podcast, please run your resume, sir. Let people know, outside of what I've already introduced, who you Mm -hmm. are and why you're here. Well, you know my name. I'm a former professional basketball player, played for about six years. Europe, here in Canada as well. Uh, I'm one of, I think, three Canadians to um, ever enter the NBA draft from Canada. So that's how I became well-known figure in the basketball world, respectfully, of course. And I'm 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 a I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm I'm now a broadcaster. I stopped playing in 2018, and I'm just founding. I'm I'm. You know, I'm finding my way in a variety of different things. I like that term you use, serial entrepreneur. Well, I can't even say the word entrepreneur without thinking about the Nick nomenclature that I was given. Right, right. The entrepreneur. <laughs> right. Like, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> it's true. Well, like I hear it and I like, I like that term because it's really what that is. Mm-hmm. Is that everything you do, if there's an opportunity for you to see something you love and then earn from what you love, that makes you an entrepreneur. The people you keep around you who keep you grounded and focused mm-hmm. and check you when you're out of pocket. Mm-hmm. There's a richness to that. Hence, entrepreneurial part. Mm-hmm. So understanding that portmanteau, if you will, of entrepreneurial, when you say serial entrepreneur, I love that. 
So keep yeah. doing that thing, man. But I, I, I need to ask you about your basketball career because I'm curious. How would you describe Warren Ward? Were you a gunner? Yeah. Uh, at times. You said you were a gunner? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I was more of a – I wasn't the strongest athlete. Now that I look back at my career and just thinking about the sheer strength that I had, I'm strong. I was quick. I was, you know, athletic. I was a scorer. That's what I was. And mm. I never averaged over 20 points for a season. So I never did that consistently. But I think I was memorable because of the way that I scored. When I watch people score, it's like there there are there are certain players that stand out because of the way they scored. Like Tracy McGrady is not a better scorer than KD. He's not even a better scorer than, you know, I mean, than LeBron. But people who I'm sorry than LeBron. Oh no, we. I don't know if you remember. We're not allowed to say that name because people get emotional. Very so, true. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. On, I'm, on the on the podcast, we try to limit it or not limit it, but give him a new identity, and we refer to him as the hashtag He Who Shan't Be Named. He Who Shan't Be Named. Excuse me. Yes, He Who Shan't Be Named. <laughs> um, he he is. I would say there there are players who are memorable scorers, and the way I conducted myself as a scorer. I, I considered myself to be, you know, an artist on the floor. So anyone who mm. watched me play, that's how I like to entertain. That's how I like to show up. Now I wasn't perfect at it, of course, but um, the way that I the way that I did score, I know stuck out to people here. So not only was I a gunner, but I considered myself a visual artist. I like that. When you say that, are you a multi-level scorer? Was it dunks? Was it your mid-range was stupid? You're from deep, you you let the big gun off. What was the thing that made Warren Ward this artist? There's two schools of thought here. Usually people say there is three levels to scoring, but there's actually five. 100%. There's, yeah, there's posting up and there's the free throw line. Now, I wasn't the best at drawing fouls until I got a little bit older, until I understood how to draw fouls. Right. But I was a mid-range assassin. And because I had long arms and um, I could elevate over people, I would just get people off about like off balance, whether with a jab step, crossover, whatever it was, and I would get to my mid-range. And there's not much anybody could really do about that. So either I was very good at fading away to my left and to my right. And mm -hmm. I knew that if I couldn't beat you to the rim, even if I could beat you to the rim, just pulling up was just so much prettier and easier. So I would get I would just get to my spots. And um I was a mid-range assassin. But as I got older, I learned how to get to the rim, as I said. I learned, you know what I mean? how to draw fouls. And then the guys that I idolized all did that work in the post. So I got stronger, got bigger, and then I put you in the block and I would do what I need to do there. And then as I got older, the long range bomb started to come as well. I wasn't the best shooter from three in university. When I turned pro, became a very good shooter, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I would say I scored at all three levels well, but mid range was how I became known. It sounds like your tattoo on your arm it sounds like you're describing that young man blessed day and the photo behind you 100 the late great kobe dean bryant when you said something about learning how to score and get to the line later in your career when you're yeah. young you play off of athleticism and just the raw desire to play that's it once you learn how to play and i say this to people all the time victor women yama doesn't know how to play basketball yet no he has no clue what he's doing. He's just going off of, I'm Victor Wembanyama. I'm bigger than you. I'm taller than you. And I can do these things. I'm out here just trying stuff. When Instinct. he learns how to play, Good night. 
it's going to be a problem. Good night. It already is. He doesn't know. No, no, no. I'm talking about to the degree where you're just going to give up. Probably. I heard, yeah. Norman, I heard Norman Powell recently talk about the hashtag he shan't be named on podcast P with Paul George. And he asked, what was the thing that stopped the Raptors from advancing to where they did in 2019? He said one name. He didn't say the team. Yeah, <laughs> we know. He said one name. Did they rename the city? I can't say the name. Yeah, we know. He who shan't be named. Yeah, they didn't name it that. But to the degree that not only did he know their plays and their sets and their audibles and adjustments, he knew our plays. And one of my teammates, who I won't name, called over to the bench and said, what's the play again? And he said, he told him, yeah. this is where you're supposed to be and JV's going to be here and you're going to pinch. And we were looking at each other like, huh? How? Just like him, when he came in the league, he was just playing off the athleticism. Now you could see him thinking through the game, and that's how I think you're describing how you got older in the game. You learn how to play the game. There's a vast yeah. difference between playing it and knowing how to play the game. 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I found in, in my experience, learning how to play did me a lot better because I had a ton of injury that I had to deal mm -hmm. with. So my athleticism was going this way, but knowing how to play – how to get to my spots and using what I had to be effective and still and still produce that comes from up here, right? So no doubt. Yeah. The, that's a guile, man. That's that instinct. Mm -hmm. And I know I asked you if you were a gunner off top, but I'm gonna talk about a couple of gunners here and see if, if this vibes of what you know about. And and we'll do it in terms of a popular TV show and an entrepreneur herself who is the head of a new underwear, the official underwear partner of the National Basketball Association. I heard you're going to be a model for Skims. <laughs> you didn't hear that. <laughs> that's, well, that's NDA. You we, we didn't listen. That's, that's, that, that is all confidential information. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and hang with the Hardashians. In case you didn't know, I'm talking about James Edward Harden Jr., the Hardashian himself, who's now in Clipperland about to debut against – I think they played the Pistons. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, the Knicks. His debut game is going to be against the Knicks. What do you think about James Harden, his movements in the past four seasons, and mm -hmm. what that means to the Clippers' championship hopes for this season? Good question. I think um, this is something I haven't really answered or talked about yet. But for me, when I look at James Harden, uh, and I look at most basketball players you know, across the board, I personally think that if you're in that position – and you are one of the fortunate people. There's been less than 4,000 people to play basketball. And I understand the business. Basketball is a business. It's not a game once you're, once you're at that level. But at the same time, in the same sentiment, in the same breath, I personally think that when you are that talented, you need to play the game. And I think sometimes he gets away from that. And him being traded from team to team to team doesn't doesn't really look right socially. That's like that's like the kid who plays D1 who transferred to Oregon one year. Then you're at Texas the next year. Then you're at you know Minnesota. After a while, it's, you start to think, well, the team can't be that bad. You got different teammates. You got handshakes with everybody every year. You're publicly congratulating Embiid, and then you want out because of a contract dispute. James, you are one of the richest. You're going to be a billionaire by the time you are done playing basketball. Mm. You're 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 in the upper echelon of the one percent of the one percent. And you don't you want to sit out games like just as a hooper, just just understanding you did this when you were a kid for free before right. there's rankings, money. And then now it's like, well, I can't play unless I'm in this situation. And I think he got what he wanted. My question to him is, 
what else more do you need to win? When is winning going to be the priority and not the people around you? He, he claims that it was the priority in Houston. Then he forced his way out of there, or as Kevin Garnett calls it, a wiggle. And no. most pro, like because of freedom of movement brought on by that guy we talked about earlier, the hashtag he would shan't be named, some people are abusing that thing, and he is the poster child for the abuse. Mm -hmm. So you wiggled out of Houston. You're in an ideal situation, and Brooklyn, Kevin Wayne Durant and Kyrie Andrew Irving couldn't make that work within a month. And you had a Hall of Fame player as a head coach who, for a lot of people, didn't know what he was doing. Uh, okay. For a lot of people, right. Wiggled your way out of there. They traded you within the division. You know how rare that is in the NBA? Very, very rare. So for him to get his wish in that way, and now the same thing, he holds out and he says what he says about Daryl Morey, who was the one who really championed him when he got to Houston, made sure he got all the stuff he needed from Carmelo Kayim Anthony, Christopher Emmanuel Paul, Russell Westbrook, Dwight mm -hmm. Howard. It wasn't like he was down there playing with a lineup of G-leaguers. Just couldn't get it done. We we're well aware of his playoff inefficiencies. Game seven meltdowns and et cetera, et cetera. And now you're in L.A., and you know what I haven't heard one time since this trade happened? What? That the Clippers are a, and I can't stand this term because it doesn't make sense to me, super team. Would you consider them that? I think they have talent. I wouldn't call them a super team, though. I don't call anyone a super team. I think a super team is a team that wins. <laughs> That's, that's yeah, I, I, just, I mean, but you know, you know why that that phrase was created. Yeah, yeah. I think I understand the phrase. I think they're going to be hard to guard. I think I think they're going to be just as hard to guard as like a Phoenix Suns or even the Boston Celtics. They're hard to guard. But, you know, I think when you have James Harden with a ball screen and one thing I'll give James Harden, he can definitely facilitate the basketball. So it's going to make things easier for Paul George it's going to make things easier. You know, what I mean, for Kawhi Leonard. Now, can Russell Westbrook and James Harden figure out how to play together? That there, to me, lies lies the the challenge. Which one of them is going to have the ball? Who's who's going to make plays? Can they share it and everyone work together? Ty Lue has a conundrum on his hands. I would not want to be the coach of the Clippers right now. I would not. I think Ty Lue can get the most out of them because he is he's a player's coach. I'll give Ty Lue right. that. Player. He can he can he can mal you know and form that together. How successful they will be? Shit, I <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. Listen, I don't know what kind of system he's running and what he will run with these guys, but Harden has let us know he's not a system player. He's a system. Were you one of those guys? <laughs> it depends where I was at. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Depends no where doubt. I University, definitely. First year overseas, nope. France, yep. When mm -hmm. I came back here, for one of them, for sure. My last year, hell yeah. Oh, my God, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. But, no. but at the same time, though, with great power, you know, what I mean, Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. And I feel like you need to understand that, in my opinion, really good scorers know when and how to pass. I mean, if you if you are if if I have the basketball in my hands, a good majority of the game, I now draw I'm drawing defense. So the mm -hmm. more the more I give the ball up, the easier it is for me to score because they have no idea what I'm going to do, which is why a pass first guy is now the leading scorer in NBA history, but nobody else has caught on to that except him. I wouldn't call him pass first, though. He would, and the I narrative know. has been created in that way. You know, when you know you can score anytime you want to, that is not your makeup. Like, he knew he didn't have 
a jumper game coming in to the pros. It's not KD. When KD gets to a spot, you can damn near chalk it up every time he – Oh, he's much. going to, to his mid range. Yeah, yeah, he's going to elevate. The ball's too hot. You can't block it. He can see the rim. It's a wrap. Watch him snake dribble around these – it's practice. He's shooting practice shots around chairs sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Some people are not built that way. Some people's offensive games are not built like that. When you're arguably the fastest guy in the league – about to turn 39, or one of the fastest guys, still at this point, after all that which, mileage. Which is crazy. you're still strong, and you've improved your free throw shooting, even though right now it's not looking great. And you've also improved your range. You talk about as you got older, you improved your range. Yeah. Those time. things expand your ability to score. When guys who knew, again, when they lost in 2007 finals, and the great Timothy Theodore Duncan told him at the end of it, yeah, um, you're about to run this thing for the next 10 years, but right now I'm glad you let us have this one. Right, it's my right. time, right? He didn't know how to play yet. And when you can say, okay, we're going to allow him to shoot and make sure these other guys don't score, or when Larry Joe Bird says, oh, I would never trade for those guys in Cleveland, man, you realize he makes them look better than what they really are. That mm-hmm. ends up being a pass-first guy. He makes the game easier for those guys who oh, don't yeah. have the ability to do what he can do anytime he wants. Correct, but only out of necessity. That's like playing on a men's league team and then you having the ball every single possession. You're bound and forced to pass. It isn't that you're pass first. I don't think you can be that. I don't think you can score 30,000 points and be pass first. I think you can only because if you can make a man named Booby be visible (laughs) in the NBA, if you make Sasha Pavlovich or Matthew Delvadova and get him a contract somewhere, ask uh, um, my man Caruso, Alex Caruso in Chicago, how he got his deal. He wasn't playing before he got there. He was a G League all-star. Finally got a chance. I'm telling you, there's certain things, there's certain guys. But, again, I don't want to get away from who we're talking about because he led the league in assists last year. James Harden, as you said, can facilitate the ball and can score. He's one of the three people in the history of the game who's ever averaged more than 35 points in a season. The other two, obviously, are. Who averaged, what, more than 35 in a season? Yeah. Uh, Jordan. And? I think Kobe. No. Well, to Norman. Ah, makes sense. Come on. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, close. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. So here you are, you're you're, you're your first ballot Hall of Famer, but your attitude about the game and and treating the business a certain way. You know, oh, I was on a leash in Philly, and even Glenn Rivers, I still can't call him Doc, (laughs) said he was hard to work with. And then B was like, yo, we let him do him. He came in, he led the league in the system, and he averaged over 20. What was the issue? What else more do you want? That's what I'm saying. It comes down to the game for me. And if I'm in that position, I would just want to play. If you're Whoa. if you're able-bodied enough and blessed enough to go ahead and play, because there are kids who would kill to be in your shoes, James Harden. And that's that, that's what I'm saying. At some point, it has to come down to your love for just playing the game. Yeah. And I, I think that as we wrap this part up in conversation with the great Warren Ward here on the open run with Will Strickland, that my man Jesse Washington, president of the program four-time Full Court 21 um, champion, senior writer at Anscape, ESPN's Black platform for culture, sports, politics, whatever, wrote an article, I was quoting the article, and I said to him about Harden years ago, that when you say hooping is one thing, when you're trying to draw fouls instead of like using your game, you're like, oh, okay, that's cool. We could do that but within the rules, but that's not the game. The rules won't save you. The referees won't save you. Only your game will save you, and that's why he's faltered in the playoffs. I agree. But who's a guy who, 
was traded recently from the Golden State Warriors to the Washington Wizards, the home of the Wayward Toys. Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole. Is he a gunner like Warren Ward? And is his legacy set, as he stated not too long ago in an interview on The Ringer, once he won his championship? No. I am not. I am nothing like Jordan Poole. <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> Jordan Poole is a diff- different caliber of, of player for, for me. Great talent, but he lacks a lot of discipline. The, the, the beauty about basketball is, is you have, as a professional at least, you are paid for consistency. That's what you're paid for. You have to find a way to be consistent in a game that is designed for you to be inconsistent. There's so right. many elements that are against you, whether that's your own physical fatigue, whether you are shooting a basketball now into a small orange hoop, game in, game out, game out, changing scouting reports. There's, all, there's, there's so many factors that are against you in terms of your performance. How do you optimize your performance every week? Jordan Poole doesn't do that. And I cannot say I'm like Jordan Poole because I that's that was that was the thing I tried to figure out. Now is Jordan Poole a much better basketball player than me? 100%. 100% he is. Look where you know what I mean, look where he is, you know. look where I'm at. But my level, that's what I tried to do. And I don't think Jordan Poole's ever going to reach that level where he can be I think his best game of the year was was the preseason game at the Garden. The most points in the Garden since Michael Jeffrey Jordan. It got a lot of people excited about the possibility. Yeah. And, but you have to remember he also works in Washington, and, and that's going to be what it's going to be. Um, what about a young man who works in Brooklyn who is finally getting an opportunity to let the big gun off in Cam Thomas? Is he a starter or is he a guy who should look to be Jamal Crawford coming off the bench for the Brooklyn Nets? He'll get paid to do that. Cam Thomas is a bucket getter. Like there, I saw a meme the other day. Who's who's less likely to get four assists in a game? Michael Porter Jr. or, or Cam Thomas? And it's <laughs> really a toss-up. Like who who like if your life depended on who's getting four assists in a game, and I'll probably say MJP before Cam. Cam is a straight bucket getter. And with that situation, my yeah, I mean, I think my dad was like, Yo, you see the kid in Brooklyn, he's good. I don't know where he was before. And I'm like, Yeah, dad, that's listen, you have to understand everyone on that bench is probably capable of doing that. Maybe not every night, but as soon as Kyrie left, he had an opportunity to now be the guy that creates offense for them. He's been doing Cam Thomas has been doing this. Like it's not this is not new. But right. Brooklyn's paying Kyrie $40 million a year. They're paying Cam Thomas 15, 12. Kyrie's playing. <laughs> you understand? Like mm. it, it, it when it comes down to that aspect, the business part of it, if you are getting paid max money or 20, 25 million dollar plus. People are paying their money to come see you, which means that owner is getting his money back. Right. That's, right. That was a conversation Emmanuel Moutier was on. I can't remember which podcast he was on. Bingo. That's uh, Theo Theo Pinson, if I'm not mistaken. His right, right. Okay. So he's with Theo Pinson. And he noted, like, even though I was playing well, the guy in front of me was making X amount of dollars. It well, is a business. Like, why, why are you acting brand new? You yeah. knew this was when you got here. You yeah. were a high draft pick. And you didn't live up to your potential, so you got relegated to something else. Like Cam Thomas, also a high guy pick, young guy coming out of LSU. But he, like you said, he's a bucket getter. But is he a guy that you can count on to play quality defense? No. To be sustainable. So is it better for him to say, I'll leave that second unit and be a guy who averages 20 off the bench, like a Ricky Pierce, uh, two-time six-man of the year, or three-times six-man of the year, Jamal Crawford? Once you understand your role and you start to embrace it, or even a guy like Malik Monk, who's yeah. a bucket getter out of Kentucky, 
finally found a place where he's like, okay, I'm never going to a starter on a quality team in this league, but well, I still get maybe the same minutes. I'll get 25, 30 minutes a night coming off the bench and be able to lead the second unit and shoot as much as I want. Okay. Oh, people say it's not how you start. It's how you finish. This is true. But I think it's a mentality that happens in young guys who want to show I can be Kyrie. And it's so rare that that guy happens. The guy who comes off the bench and becomes a star. It's so rare. I'm well, not saying it can't happen for Cam Thomas. I just don't see it being sustainable from a winning standpoint. 100%. You're absolutely right. But people, you have to remember now, people don't practice to be Jamal Crawford. Kids growing mm. up. They're not in the park saying, let me get in my, you know what I mean? Like, 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 I mean, well, like, Crawford wasn't practicing to be Jamal Crawford until he realized that, yeah, this is the best way for me to be Jamal Crawford. So I may like Jamal Crawford, but everyone wants to be Steph. Everyone right. wants to be LeBron. Uh, sorry, everyone wants to be who should the hashtag be, uh, who should be named. The hashtag who shan't be named. Everyone's practicing to be Paul George. Everyone's practicing to be, you know, I mean, John Morant. No one's practicing to be a role player in the league. So can 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 Thomas do that? Sure. Will he accept that and be like, well, I can get paid, stupid paid, if I just like, accept this part of the game instead of trying to be a superstar? Because there's only there's only a few. And to be honest. Most of the people that, like, for example, I think the, the best superstar in the NBA is someone who doesn't even care about basketball, Nikola Jokic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he to me, is, is the epitome of what a top athlete should do. He takes his job very seriously. And I respect that. He's ultra consistent. And as soon as he's done playing, he goes and messes with them horses. And, like, right. he has something else that he likes to do. And people were like, yo, Jokic isn't training in the summertime. I'm like, well, if you were grinding through an entire season, you win a championship, wouldn't you want to detach? And is, just that, is that counter to the person who you like really believe is, is that guy you have? Yeah. Like he was when people say he's the mama mentality and all he thought about was basketball, basketball, basketball. But here's somebody who does who's achieved. I'm not saying he's achieved on the same level as yeah. he has. All. No, but to the degree of his consistency. Yeah. And what he does and being a feared player in the league, there has to be some level of dog in him. He just understands from a balance standpoint the difference. And you saw that Kobe actually found that balance when he retired. But I can answer that. what he did with women's basketball. Yes, sir. Yeah, I can answer that. The reason why he's up there and tattooed on my arm and is that Kobe found a system that worked for Kobe. I don't think there's anyone who does anything at any level, whether you're a broadcaster, whether you're a podcast host, whether you've done everything, you know what I mean, that – Bad boy, every everything that you've done, you wouldn't sit here and say you you didn't work hard, correct? Right, 100%. right. You've definitely worked hard to attain everything that you have in your life, right? One hundred percent. Okay. 100%. So, do you know anybody that you could say worked really, really, really hard, like even harder than you did, like astounding work ethic, and didn't attain the same level of success as you, per se? No. Never. No. Okay. Not that, I, not that I know of, because if you work that hard, someone who works like that. Even if the thing they worked at failed, yeah, because the way they're built, they'll just take and transfer those skills to something else and be successful in that thing too. And I've seen that happen for sure. Okay, I can agree to some degree with that. I I don't think I think you can transfer the skills, but what I'm saying is Kobe found a system that worked for Kobe. Not mm. everyone can get up at 4 a.m. and go do a full workout and then practice with the team at eight, go back to the gym at 11, go back to the gym at 7:30, and perform optimally again for like and perform consistently at nine o'clock when the game's about to start not everybody can do that 
Kobe found a system that worked for Kobe, and I respect that because I I feel as though in my career so far, I've worked hard. Is there people who maybe have outworked me and haven't had the same successes as me? Sure, that but that's life. But the mm. work work for you. Me going to the gym and pulling up, you know what I mean, all these jumpers, that worked for me. I saw results when it was time, you know what I'm saying, for the game to start. I imagine that, as you said, it's not for everyone, but when you think about the NBA or even college, university, whatever the case might be, it could be G League, it could be Serie A, Division A, Division One in Europe, whatever the case might be, the coaches will tell you, you don't win the championship during the games. You win the championship during practice. Yeah. Because the way you practice, practices are harder than the games. And so okay. when you get out in the game, because you've honed that skill, it's the 10,000 hours you don't see. Yeah. And that's where you win your championship as a unit, right? But I don't know if my man in Chicago, when I'm talking about St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, we're talking about Patrick Williams has put in those 10,000 hours because it was recently reported by Zach Lowe of ESPN that he was looking forward to getting a five-year, $200 million max contract from the Chicago Bulls, averaging five points, three rebounds, and two assists. Help me out. <laughs> he thought that's what he was worth? He thinks that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, why yeah. not? If you don't think – look, you can't be good for anyone else if you're not good for yourself. Yeah, but delusion is a real thing. Clearly, <laughs> the real thing. Like I said, the work has to work for you. So five points, three rounds, two, three rounds, two assists. With all due respect to you, sir, I can find someone else to do that. That is not worth two hundred million dollars in five years. I'm sorry. Now you turn that five points into 25, 10 and ten. Now you can get whatever the hell you want, and that that is that is that is different. That's different. Like I said, the work has to work for you, and I feel that's what I think Kobe did. I think Jokic has figured that out. What works for me? Me going mm. to the gym and, and working out with Brickley and all these other trainers, that ain't working for you. If you're putting in all this work and you go to the and, and then it's time for you to perform in the game. The thing that the thing that you practice for, you don't practice for no reason. You practice for the game. Right. If you, and if you go to the game and you cannot simulate what you've done and practice in the game, either it's not for you or your work that you're doing is not working for you. Well, if the work be working. Because game recognizes game here on the open run. So come back for more with me and Warren Ward on the other side of this. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lectures conducted from the mic into the speaker in conversation. But great, Warren Ward, I said multi-hyphenate earlier. How would you describe what you do, sir? If you said, give me a sentence, who is Warren Ward? You would say, broadcast professional, skims model. What, what would you say? I would give you the business because he's always, as you see, he's a very handsome man. Thank you very much. I, listen, and people say, well, how can you say that about another man? Hey, man, I'm cool with my sexuality. I can say this man is a handsome man. That's why he does what he does. It fits for what TV wants, and he projects a certain confidence. I think he smells of sandalwood all the time. <laughs> Whatever it is. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's, how you carry it. it's how you carry it, champ. And so how would you describe Warren Ward? Adaptive. Mm. I have that word tattooed on my arm. Um, Explain. Adaptation. 
I feel as though it is not the strongest who survive, but the ones who remain most adaptable to change. The only thing I know about life is that it's going to change. And uh, I roll with the punches. So I don't know if I have one thing, one skill that I'm, you know, I mean, that I'm good at. I know I'm, I am capable enough to try most things. So I didn't know I'd be in broadcasting. I didn't know I'd want to work in public speaking or media, but here I am. And the reason why I can do that now is because I thought at one point when someone said I should, I thought I could. And that is how I would, I would describe myself. Someone who is adaptable. Um, you can put me there and I'll, I'll figure, I'll say, figure it out. I don't really like saying that, but in this context, I'll be anywhere, be put anywhere and I'll figure it out. I'll try and learn as much as I can from some, from, from people that have been there as, as well, but <laughs> someone who I, I am very, very adaptive. Okay. Well, you think that fans and the players in the NBA will adapt to this in-season tournament on courts that look like backgammon boards? <laughs> I won't lie. I do like the courts, though. The courts are fly. It kind of reminds me of Europe a little bit with, right. with the courts and the colors. They're very, very, very good. I I like the in-season tournament. It's very exciting. One game elimination. It's, it's cool. I do like it. I, I at first I was like, what is this? You know, I don't know why. Like the NBA doing too much. Like just have the season and get to the playoffs and we'll do it. But this in-season tournament has been pretty electric. I I I do like it. I do. Okay. Well, if you were talking about this tournament at one of your many jobs, the boy I got thirteen jobs. <laughs> when, <you, laughs> when you talk about it. If you were at TSN, how would you describe the in-season tournament? I would say the in-season tournament is a winner-take-home, basically, um, where the best man, the best team that day wins, and it counts for something. Most regular season games in the NBA, there's guys who take nights off sometimes. And we all know that any job, you're not, you're not up as much for a game on a Tuesday night that you are on a Thursday, you know? On a on a shack and 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 you know Charles Barkley national televised game you're not as up for those ones. Mm. The in season tournament essentially has that for a month and a half. Every game mm. is nationally televised on these new glamorous courts. They're going to Vegas to play in the finals. It is a chance for people to compete every single night, and winner winner goes on. So you're playing for something within the season that helps you get to your end goal. It's going to be very interesting to see if. A team wins the in-season tournament and then goes on to win a championship. In-season mm-hmm. tournament, all-star game MVP, and a championship. That that is exciting. That that is a that is something different. And when I thought about it from that perspective, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. We, this we saw something like this in the WNBA where the two teams that ended up in the final, the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty, the Liberty banked the Aces in the Commissioner's Cup, which is what they call their in-season tournament. Right. So when they got to the finals, people were like, okay, can the Aces defeat them? Can they go back to back? They thought they had the injuries and everything. It lent some some cachet to what they were doing. I watched the whole series. I'm a big basketball fan anyway, though. So I'm looking at how they're doing that as a litmus test for the NBA in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that's how I saw it. As long as they're successful with that, it's also going to vote well for the team they're going to take to Las Vegas in 2025. Mm-hmm. That's going to be Helm somehow. We had this conversation. We did. By a guy who can't be a player a player owner because that can't happen. It can't? No. Oh. The CBA would not allow it. That's why St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington drove off mad in Washington. Oh, I forgot. Those years didn't happen. <laughs> that never happened. You only right. played six years in the NBA. My bad. Right. I got it. There you go. 
So, um, so yeah, that can't happen. But Las Vegas is priming itself for an NBA franchise, 100. They're not playing the tournament championship in Seattle. Yeah, I know. They're Tampa or in Nashville. That's They're right. playing in Vegas for a reason, mm-hmm. right? And and so when you look at this tournament, if you are on, say, a show on NBA TV Canada, how would you describe the tournament there? Pretty much the same way I said it. <laughs> oh, no. I, I think we would be a little bit, it would be more relaxed. It would be a more casual environment. Okay. okay. I, I could maybe, I'm, maybe. But how I many mean, times we sit on the couch together and talk about different players in the league or college players and didn't come off the same way as if you were giving an analysis on TSN. You think it's any different when you get your analysis in different arenas, whether it's TSN or NBA TV Canada? It depends on the audience, but yes, 100%. Because I, I, barbershop. I say you're in a barbershop. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, that I'm talking. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, how I'm would you describe this tournament? I'm talking freely on a in a barbershop. I would describe the tournament as a as a as a way for as I essentially what I say. I'll just say it a little bit more blunt. They got to mm-hmm. compete every night. That's basically right. what, that's the tournament. You got to compete every night. You're playing for something every single night. You're not you're you, there, there is no nights off anymore because every game is on national. You know, like I said, it's on national television. If you want to make a name for yourself, this is how you do it. The Brooklyn Nets have just as much chance of winning as. As a Denver Nuggets, no, it's, they don't. <laughs> but in, in all, in all, in all, yeah, one and done. Yeah, you're right. If they can, if they can somehow win every game at the buzzer, they have as much chance. Thirty teams competing for one cup. You got to play every single night. I love that. I respect that. And it all counts towards your record. So when, when I'm seeing this, I'm like, this is cool. I, I I like this tournament. I do. Have you seen this when doing your color commentary for the Raptors 905? Have I seen what? Like the in-season tournament, what they do with the the showcase? Oh, yeah, the showcase, yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't been to the showcase personally, but I've yeah, I've definitely watched it. I've seen it. The showcase is cool, but they also mix up the teams. So mm-hmm. they take the best players in the G League, and you know what? They put those guys on one team, so it's a little bit different. I, I like it though. It's a it's a it's a unique opportunity for scouts to go ahead and look at all these guys. It's also much more of a networking thing than it is the basketball, because all the all the GMs, owners, agents, they all get together and just just chit chat all day long, right? So, one hundred percent. Yeah, maybe five of those guys in the G League may get a call up, right? Maybe. Okay. Well, when we're talking about the Raptors nine hundred five and previewing their season coming up this Sunday, November twelfth, yep, two thousand twenty three, at the Paramount Fine Food Center. Yep, six days. Are you prepared? And tell me what you think of this squad. It's fluid, obviously, because guys get called up or you know whatever the case might be, but. What do you see with this squad this year and, and their possibilities of not only winning the G League championship, but having a player or two come up and play for the parent club and be a, a real contributor? Well, I, I got to watch their practice the other day, and um, I like the energy. I think that's one thing you can always tell. It's infectious. Like, do the players like being around each other? Are they all working towards the same common goal? And um, I saw that. I saw, I saw a team that looks like they want to compete. And uh, but, you know, what we'll you know, we we will see. We will see when the ball goes up in the air. That's that's what you can see in a press. I've, I've, I've only been to one, but I did get a chance to speak to the coach and talk about his system and what he wants to do compared from last season to this season. And I definitely liked um, uh, his responses. I think he has a good sense of the direction in which he wants to take this group. And mm-hmm. um, they are very versatile. They have a lot of guys who could do a lot of things. Their point guard is obviously small. 
I asked coach, I'm like, is that going to be a factor? Because most point guards today are either like our height or taller. Right. So was it, and he, he has absolute confidence that it will not be a mismatch issue. They have shot blockers, they have shooters, they have guys with 6'10, 6'11, and, and uh, emoji. They have him. They got a point guard from Chicago who is a downhill assassin, a great facilitator of basketball. That's one thing I'll say they have this year where they got a lot of passers. And a lot mm -hmm. of guys can share the basketball. So I think if they if they do mirror the parent club with the one four out offense almost, mm. I think it will look well with the you know, I mean with the G League as well. But again, change happens in that league right before game time. Half an right. hour. Players coming and going, you know what I'm saying. So it, it it all depends. It's not this is not a guarantee, but outside you know outside looking looking in or inside looking in as well. <laughs> right, right, right. In, looking inside, I like what I see on paper, and I like the fact that from everyone that I've spoken to, the team gets along very well. And we, and we both know this is a very egotistical sport, and team needs to be first. And I, and I get the sense that they have a group that is 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 about team. Well, if you talk about team as an aside real quick, because I, I like to refer to Kobe because of you, because you know, <laughs> you're a Kobe fan. And his, his thoughts on team at one point, I'm sure you're aware of what I'm about to talk about. Of course. Dr. Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal had to go to the late great and say to him he needed to pass the ball more. Do you remember his quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. You might not be at liberty to say it, so maybe I should share it. You go ahead. Well, he says, uh, you know, Kobe, we need you to pass the ball some more. He goes, hey, there's no I in team. He says, yeah, but there's the ME in that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> would that sum up who Kobe Bean Bryant was as a ball player? Uh, I would say that sums up a good, a, a good part of him. I, I, would, I, I wouldn't say that's all he was. It's a great story, though. It's a great story. <laughs> Well, that's a great story. And that's that's a very Kobe thing to say. And I like that. I respect that. That's Kobe. That's right. not my reality, though. When you look at this start for the Toronto Raptors this season, what are you seeing in things that they've done well, things they could do better, and what the immediate future is for this team? Because the trade deadline, um, one of the trade deadlines comes up in December 15th, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. You see them making moves with the assets they have to improve the team, or are they going to stand pat as Masai Jury is being called out in these streets? Yeah, well, let me go back to the barber shop. Let me get on my thing. Let me get my fade right. Let me, let me. Right. See? Let That's me why I asked the question. The difference between being on TSN suited and booted and us chilling and the Nike, you know, whatever. Yeah. And barbershop is vastly different. It's almost like when we're on TV, we speak a certain way. When we're our friends, we speak another way. Even though we're saying the same things, it's how you deliver it. You deliver it big time, big time. So, um, to answer your question, I feel as though the Raptors have been inconsistently consistent. So they will showcase, they will showcase the ability they, you know, what I mean that they have. So the other day, I forget who they played. Uh, sorry, they played Milwaukee. And when when they came in, I said on air, I said I don't think this is going to go very well. That's what I said. I said I think the Bucks just have too much firepower. Their, their size, the Raptors, the, the Raptors were struggling at the time to rebound the basketball. Mm. And I figured Milwaukee would come in here and crush them. Completely opposite of what happened. They score 130 points. They keep Milwaukee. The teams are barely scoring over 100 against the Raptors. That was mm. the – Chicago broke that only in overtime. Overtime, right. And the Raptors gave away that game. So you see – 
right now what I'm saying is you see how bad they are, but you also see how good they can be. And the, the thing is, is that they do this. It's like one game they're really bad, the next game they're good. And what I mean by bad is like they they their half-court offense at times is atrocious where they can't score. And they can't score because there's no spacing. And there's no spacing because guys can't shoot. So, oh. you know, oh, that, that's what it is. Like, no, 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 no. I, I'm with you. I'm with you because you said two things to me that stood out. One, in this league, in this thing of ours called the NBA, we know that defense travels. Yep. And if you're able to play defense with the squad that you have right now, the offense will come. Later on. A new coach and a new system and then players, a couple of whom may be on the move. Mm, Maybe. Maybe. To create the spacing you think you need, to also give opportunity to someone you've invested a great deal of time and energy into making that guy because some nights we don't know who that guy is on this squad. But I don't think they needed that guy. In my my in, in in the NBA, pecking order is absolute necessity. Just like guys, if you you as a player, did you always start? Let me ask you that because this is key to what we're talking about. Did you always start in every professional situation, or did you come off the bench sometimes? My first year, I came off the bench a little bit, but I, I was a starter. Yeah. Right. Okay. So cool. So when you first started coming off the bench, were your minutes consistent? You talked no. about consistency earlier. No. So guys have habits and routines. Yeah. Some guys come off the bench. They know they watch the first four or five minutes of the game. They come in the game and they go, okay, this is what we need. Tim Hardaway Jr. forever has never been, to me, has never been a starter in the the league. But he's a guy who's dangerous because once he comes off the bench, he's leading that second unit or being a big part of the second unit. The league is scoring. All I'm saying is some guys adapt to it better. So when you look at consistency – these guys have habits and routines. You know you're going to play 32 minutes a night. You know you're going to play 25 minutes a night. And when you don't, it affects this part, which then affects your performance. So when guys don't know who the guy is, I'm not saying it's your team. When you know, when it comes down to it, that's the guy. When you go to, to Dallas, we all know that Luka Lamar, that's with two R's, Doncic is the guy. I'll give all the Slavic guys middle names. So like Nicola Jermaine, that's J-apostrophe-M-A-Y-N-E. So you know that Luca's the guy, but we know that a guy who hit one of the biggest clutch shots in NBA history is right next to him. We know it's not his team. It's clearly defined who that guy is. Earlier this year, the hashtag he who shaped me name has been trying to give the keys of the car for five seasons to Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. And, well, that He's trying to empower him. He's trying to empower him by saying it's his team. We all know whose team it is. Yeah. We all know who the guy is. This is what I'm saying. From my identity standpoint, when Kawhi Anthony Leonard came here, we knew, even though Kyle Terrell Lowry was here, we knew who the guy was when he showed up Mm -hmm. without question. You need an identity, and that identity is formed by the guy because, as you said, it's a business, but it's also a game, Mm -hmm. and that's necessary in Toronto. That's part of the confusion. That's part of the inconsistency that we've been talking about. The up and down part? Yeah, up and down. I think think when it comes down to it, whether – whether they have a guy or not, they are in this limbo stage where they have shown flashes, like I said, of how good they can be against a very good team and how poor they can play. I think right now we don't know which team they're going to get. I think yesterday's win in San Antonio was a big win for the Raptors, man. You're down 19 at half. That is a franchise record that they set for, for you know what I mean, for a comeback. 
Um, that's very, very impressive. And it showed, and they had what 20 points off of turnovers they gave up in the first half. Second half, they had three or four, I think. So, you know, you're 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 looking at at two different teams. Like you, and that's that's what I'm saying. I don't know if Darko goes into each game thinking this is what my team is going to do. I know I'm gonna get this. He he has to adjust on the fly because they 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 may not make shots in that game, you know. But the defense is there. Their defense is phenomenal, and I, I you know you you got to give the Raptors credit for that. The same group of guys that Nick Nurse didn't really want to work with and mold with and get better with. Coach Darko's giving guys opportunity. He gives Malachi Finn a lot of room room to make mistakes. You know what I'm saying? He gives he gives guys t- time to grow, and I think that is the sign of a good coach. That is the sign of a guy who wants to work with these people, and I think he's doing a, a good job. And they're they're up and down. And I do, I personally outside inside looking inside, I don't even know which way they're gonna go. The games I have thought the Raptors should have won and would win, they've lost. The games I thought they were gonna lose, they won. So I just was like, okay, I'm watching the game yesterday in San Antonio. They're down 20. I guess something to eat, turn off TV. I'm not, I'm not watching this. <laughs> and then third quarter, four minutes left. I'm like, it's, oh, it's a ball game now. I'm turn this back on and start. You know what right. I mean? Like they, they, they have this, this up and down where we don't really know. And it's funny because my first year overseas, my coach, when I was, ta- I was asking the assistant coach, I was like, coach, listen, I start some games. I do. I had a game in. And um, that was my is the first. I had 24 points in that game. We won that game. That was my first professional start. And after that, I started some. I didn't. And uh, my assistant coach Thomas Patch was like, Henrik, the coach, doesn't know what he's gonna get from you every night. And I was like, mm. I didn't understand. I never understood what he meant. I'm like, what do you mean you get, bro? I, I just, I just showed you what he's gonna get from me. Right. Oh, you know what he said. But I, now I get it. He he can't go into the game and say. This is what I'm going to do. No matter if we play Alba Berlin or we play some other team in in in, in France, whatever, wherever I was at. Like I, he did. There's no there's no thought process. Two steals, eight rebounds, fifteen points. That's what's gonna happen. No matter what, you look at the stat sheet and he he gonna see me. Because sometimes I'd play and it'd be one steal, five points, twenty seven minutes, twenty four minutes. 22 points, eight rebounds, four assists. How? What? Like, what's the difference? How? How do you affect the game to get the results that you want? And I think that's that's where the Raptors are. That they have not figured out. But again, we're six games in. People are expecting this team to go on and win the championship. We are eight eight games into the season. You know, Raptors I mean? fans are super spoiled from 2019. Let I, it go. I know, I know. But that's what I'm saying. Enjoy it's, it. But new coach. It, New system, new everything, and it's like they lose a game. Oh, they're the worst team in the league. You know, right. it's, a, it's a it's a small sample size right now, but I think your assessment is one hundred percent on, and the inconsistency and the the unevenness. I'd say more Uneven. unevenness. Of, there you go. Right? There you go. You know, is that if you know for sure? Okay, we can bank on the fact that we have defense. We've won some some games. We lost a game in Chicago that we should have won. Right. Because Demar Darnell DeRozan almost choked that one off twice. Lost right. to Portland at home, a team that and, wins. You know what I'm right. saying? So like, you, those are the type of bad losses or situations that might come back to bite you later on. Because exactly. I think the Raptors are still trying to prove that they're a top six team in the East. We already know unquestionably the top two. I agree. Okay. Are they the top of, in the East? Who? The Raptors. Are they a top six team? 
they could be. That's what I'm saying. They're trying to prove that they are. Mm. When I look at – all right, so we could say that almost another lock, especially the way that Kelly Oubre Jr. is playing. Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I remember we had an exchange on television once on NBA TV Canada about Cam Reddish. Yes, we did. going to be this guy or Kelly Oubre. And for years, there's a reason why Kelly Oubre is bounced around the league. I yep. said this years ago, and there's a reason for that. And now he's found a home. Malik Monk, same situation. All I'm saying is that when you're looking at this team right now and you're looking at, you know, the possibilities, it's a small sample size. Be patient. You know, the defense is there. They may make a move for someone. You never know. And with teams trading in division now, yeah, I've never that used to be a no-no, trading guys in division. But who would you trade for? That's my question. Like, well, I, I'm not Mas- and Masai, you must trust. Yeah. <laughs> and Masai, you must trust. So, and, you know, it's mad that Bobby Webster doesn't get his due as a general, the actual general manager, but right. Masai has become I'm such a personality. Guy. You always think about Masai. But when you think about Canadian basketball players in the National Basketball Association, there are 27, or actually 28, they're on rosters at the beginning of the season. Can you name all of them? Can I name every Canadian player? Yeah. No. I can't name every single Canadian. I can name the majority of them off the top of my head. Let's go. Oh boy. Um I'm that serious. I'm I'm counting on. I'll see if you how close you get. Okay. Kelly Olinick, Benedict Matherin, Chris Boucher, Lou Dort, Shea Gildas Alexander, Jamal Murray. Oh my god, he plays on Sacramento. Light skinned dude, six foot ten. Oh my god. You know what I'm talking about. Who? Kim Birch? No, he's not in the league anymore. For Sacramento? You sure he plays for Sacramento? Is Brandon Clark is one of them plays for Memphis? Okay, uh, they got Dwight, seven. Dwight Powell, uh, Indiana Pacers, Andrew Nemhard, nine. Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph. No, uh, Tristan, I don't think Tristan's on a roster, but you got on, Corey. You got ten. You got he's no, on Tristan. Cle- Tristan's on Cleveland, so you got eleven. You're yeah. right. Oh my God, man! I see the dude's face right now, man. Oh my God, what's his name? It's gonna bother me. Well, I know uh, you're talking about on, on Sacramento now. He's clicked on my head. Who are you talking about? Yeah, six foot ten, power forward dude. I forget his name, man. Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give you Trey Lyles because you, you you got him described. Right, right. Trey Lyles. What's that? Twelve? Yeah, you got twelve. You said a twenty-seven? Yeah, twenty-eight. Twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Yeah. I know if you say some more, it's gonna bother me. But I, I yeah, that's about all I can name. I'm talking. Let me, my head. Let me throw some out there to to you, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Oh, Alexander Walker, Shay's cousin. There, see. Andrew Christian Wiggins. Oh my God, that's my dog too. <laughs> I'm, I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing stuff out there. Um, let me throw out Kelly Olynyk. I said him I'm already. Just, no, I did. No. That's the first name I said. Okay, Dylan Brooks. Oh, tripping. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yeah, yeah. Christy, Christy Warte, Shaden Sharp. Oh, he's from London too. I'm bugging. <laughs> wow, Josh oh. Primo, back in the league. Omax he- Prosper. Oh, he's he back played in- for the Clippers. Uh, Josh Primo got signed by the Clippers. Okay. Omax Prosper in Dallas and Lindell Wigginton. Yes, in Milwaukee. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, yes Eugene yes. Obenuri in Washington. Okay. Leonard Miller in Minnesota. Yeah. I miss it some way. Oh, A.J. Lawson in Dallas. And yeah. Caleb yeah. Houston, go blue all day every day. University of Michigan playing down there for Jamal Mosley in Orlando. Hmm. We might. I think that's all. Wait, no, 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 no. He went to Alabama. What's his name? Charles Bediaco. And Delano Banton playing in Boston. And O.T. Brissett also. Yeah. And then last but not least, I'll leave it at that. And there's Nate Darling. Rowan 
Rowan Barrett Jr. in oh, New York City. <laughs> yeah, I'm tripping. Nah, they Good got. Man. I think that's good though. I think you did a good job. Nah, not bad. There's a couple of them guys like, come on, Wiggins, Shaden, like that. Like, come on, man. That's you should know it off the top. Yeah, should know. Come on, yeah, should know those guys. Listen, yeah, no, great job. No, whatever the case is, no, I appreciate the time and consideration, man. I need you to name your starting five all-time Canadian basketball players. You can include yourself if you want to. By position, sir. But oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's tough. Shit. You get uh by position, I can't just be a starting five. Oh my gosh. All-time Canadian starting five. Okay. If you can convince me a guy can play the point that he's really a, a point guard, I'll say yes. Because that's that's okay. Can I can I can I go six? Can I go six then? I'll give you a six man. Oh, okay. That makes things easier. All time. All time. With no disrespect to and anyone that's been there, whatever. But I gotta go. I gotta go with Steve. Stevie. Okay. Stevie Steve. John Nash is the one. Um at the two, I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go I'm I'm gonna go with Shay. I'm gonna go with Shay. First team all NBA. I, I think Shay Shay is Shay's game is is he he got so much game. Not only that. But his durability to play a NBA season, play for Canada, and not just play for Canada, be the be the be the dog on Canada, lead the team, and then go into an NBA season again and just, you know, doing work, doing and work, better, and got better assets on the court now. Dave Holmgren, from the, right, kind of nice. Josh yeah. kind of nice right now. Yeah, even Luke Williams, kind of nice right now. New York, kind of nice. <laughs> Say it. Um, they got a team. They do. So we got Stevie. Um, Shay, SGA, yeah, SGA. <sighs> this guy said by position, this is tough. I was, I listen when it comes to being a, a phenom, Canadian basketball phenom, you know, small forward back in the day, first first player to ever have a, a triple double in the Big East. I might have to go with with uh, Leo Routens on that position. Oh, I'm not uh, mad at that. Do you think? I might have to go with Leo or Wiggy. I'll go with Leo or Wiggy. Nope. Pick one. Pick one. No fence riding, sir. With all due respect to Wiggy, I'm gonna go with Leo. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with the with the the highest pick up until a certain point. He was the first person to crack a top five draft draft roster all time, and that's Tristan Thompson. So I'm gonna okay, go with T okay. at the four and at the five. I'm gonna go with Big Cat. Big Cat. And at the off the bench for six, Jamal Murray. No question. No question. Okay. So that okay. I like that squad. I like that squad. A five. I'm a big Shea fan. I interviewed Leo the other day, and I, and you know, youngest Canadian to ever make the national team, 16 years old. So, uh, Leo Wright, Wrightus Rowlands, uh, Routens. I'm going with him. You know, I'm gonna have to have a conversation with Leo. We can talk about that also. Yeah, for sure. Man, but for sure. let the people know where they can find you on these rough interweb streets, brother. <laughs> uh well you got my twitter is uh warren i think it's warren ward underscore 10 twitter warren dot ward 10 um and then yeah wait, wait, twitter you got two twitters or are you talking about instagram is warren dot ward 10 warren dot ward 10 is ig right. twitter is warren ward underscore 10 i have a new twitter it's just basketball content on there so oh, i didn't know you had a new one because i was trying to find it and tag yeah, you on the uh, post I got a new one. I got a new one. So uh, I'll I'll send that to you. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Warren. My man, I appreciate your time and consideration, and we're going to see you soon. 
Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my very special guest, the great Warren Ward. My guy is doing big things and looking to become the next entrepreneur. So stay close to his movements and support them. You got to support show peoples at all times. And with that being said, it's now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Let's start with the rookie watch right off the rip because my man Victor Wembanyama, in an incredible game that had people change some most ridiculous stuff online, but also maybe it's not as ridiculous as we thought. We'll get to that in a second. But I want to salute Asar Thompson. I said that the Thompson twin in Houston was going to get more burn, have more of an opportunity with the injury to Jaden Ivey, who's been sick recently and also relegated to the bench a little bit more with this new Monty Williams system there in Detroit. Saw Thompson is taking those minutes, giving you 11 points, nine rebounds and four assists every night as a rookie and being a big part of the versatility that Monty Williams wants from his young squad. Also, shouts out to his teammate, Marcus Sasser, coming off the bench, playing like Vinny the Microwave Johnson in a lot of ways. I think that's going to be his role in the NBA, and I think he's accepted that. Marcus Sasser was on one of the top teams in college basketball last year, University of Houston Cougars. I'm not prone to say good things about Cougars since I played at Rice, go Owls all day, every day. Hootie who? But I got to give Sasser his stats, nine points, two rebounds, three assists, coming off the bench, doing a great job in Detroit. I see a lot of what Sam Presti's done in Oklahoma City with what Troy Weaver, who worked for Sam Presti for years in OKC, is doing now in Motown. And also, last but not least, a guy who I thought, from a shooting standpoint, would have a Walter Ray Allen-type entry into the league as far as being on a squad that didn't require him to be the man right off the rip, but with all those injuries down there in New Orleans, whether they're talking about Grand Theft Alvarado or Najee Marshall, Brandon Ingram was out some knee soreness recently and now with Christian James McCollum being out due to a collapsed lung Jordan Hawkins from the national champion UConn Huskies giving you 10 4 and 2 even though he's shooting and most rookies do shoot a pretty poor percentage that's unless you're like Chet Holmgren or Victor Wominyama or Derek Lively who we talked about last week in rookie watch these guys are adjusting to the game the speed of the game the size and the force of the game that it takes to play at that level one hopes that those will improve as the season goes on before you hit that rookie wall. But there's always an opportunity to continue to grow in the NBA, much like Scoot Henderson, who a lot of people are calling a bust even before it gets started. The sample size is so small. But we are such a microwavable fast food society. Scoot Henderson, they said, oh, all these memes, and some of them were really mean. Played two years in the G League on the Ignite, playing like a freshman coming into the NBA. Well, he is basically a freshman. He's been playing so poorly, he recently had a what a lot of people have been calling a mystery ankle injury to sit him down. They are 3-3 three and three right now. With Scoot Henderson giving you 35% from the field shooting. Bob Cousy-esque numbers, as I like to call them. Hate to shade the old guy. I know he played with plumbers. According to Jonathan Clay Reddick, but he actually played against some Hall of Famers. He did only dribble one hand, though. Let's keep that a buck. But 9-2-5 for Scoot. Not bad, not great. He's going to have an opportunity, again, learning under Malcolm Brogdon. And, of course, Mr. Big Shot, Chauncey Ray Billups, as his head coach, he's going to be okay. Draymond Green, not one easy to pass out platitudes, gave his assessment on Chet Holmgren. 
as the Warriors won a game in a controversial fashion against the OKC Thunder recently, said that Chet's a problem. He can play. He can dribble, pass, shoot. He's only going to get better. And this is Draymond Jamal Green Sr. saying this. And he's going to get better. When you see these guys at that size doing the things they do on the court already, the game is changing dramatically. As they get older and they slow down a bit, will their post-up games be the thing that extends their career and gives them a new wrinkle? And I'm talking about guys like Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren, 7-3, 7-4 guys, who are doing the things they're doing like guards. And of course, as I said, with Victor Wembanyama, the great, I call everybody the great, it seems, but these guys are great. Artist formerly known as Ron Artest is artesticulating online about Victor Wembanyama. Meta World Peace recently said in a tweet, these are his words, women's winning 10 titles potentially. He might win MVP this year. Definitely first team all defense and first team all NBA and potentially the first player to be most improved as a rookie. That last one was an interesting concept, but there's something to think about. Could you be as a rookie most improved? Like over the season that you improve from your hype to that? I'm not mad at his thinking, but it's definitely funny and probably the most meta world piece thing you could ever hear someone say or tweet 100%. A young man who was averaging 21, 8, 2, and 3 blocks, only second in the league to Anthony Davis in block shots, is exceeding the hype so far. But again, this is a small sample size. We're all excited. All want to see these rookies play well. And right now, these guys are living up to that hype. As we go into the Power 10 this week, the Celtics have overtaken the Nuggets, the only undefeated team left in the league. I am, I shouldn't say I'm surprised. But Kristaps Porzingis has bought in right away. And I think that Drew Holiday, his leadership is quiet leadership. As much as I like Marcus Smart, his leadership may have graded on guys like Jason Christopher Tatum Sr. or Jalen Brown a little bit. Drew Holiday is a quiet leader. Derek White is a quiet leader. You have perimeter guys who are unassuming, who do their jobs, who come in. They know they're not going to get the media and they're not the flash of that team. And you start to create an identity culture around some guys and that's what Boston is doing at 5-0 and can't knock him including hanging 155 points on the Indiana Pacers recently it had not been done in regulation since 1959 where there are no specialists on the court and you tried to get as many shots as possible the shot clock barely existed back then it was the it was in this fourth season and these guys are still getting up 141 shots a night as a team that does not happen in NBA that's like 50 less shots in NBA now and to hang 150 in regulation, there's no defense playing by Indiana. And shouts out to my man Sam Cassell, who has changed Jason Tatum's game. Jason Tatum, one of the leading scorers in the league. I think he's top five, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. But Sam Cassell was known as a mid-range assassin. And now Jason Tatum's shot chart, if you look at it from last season to this season, more efficient. Learn how to score in different places on the court instead of always launching the long ball. Turning the ball over less. Could be noted that it was Sam Cassell. I want to tell the Sam Cassell story about our connection to Chicago, but I don't think it's the appropriate time. If you want to hear it, let me know. Hit me up on my social media. I'm not hard to find. At number one this week in our Power 10, the Boston Celtics. At number two, the reigning defending NBA champions, the Denver Nuggets. And shouts out to Nikola Jermain Jokic, that's J-A-P-A-S-H-E-M-A-Y-N-E, tied for fourth all-time. On the triple doubles list with 107, I'm sure he's going to break that. And he's done it in 601 games, if I'm not mistaken. 
which is an amazing thing. Now tied with Jason Frederick Kidd, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks and Hall of Famer. And of course, and also the hashtag, he who shan't be named, he's going to surpass that easy. Next up is the GOAT, Irvin Magic Johnson. So, shouts out to Nicola Jermaine. The Nuggets still have the best starting five in the NBA, but these Boston Celtics look like they're finding their rhythm. Again, it's early. It's a sample size, but a good start definitely helps your finish oftentimes. At number three, the Golden State Warriors. It's hard to bet against the Golden State Warriors as long as you have a game-bending transcendent star in Wardell Stephen Curry II, who at 35 is still playing with a joy and a level of energy that you don't often find in 35-year-olds. His leadership, not being able to play off the ball even more with Christopher Emmanuel Paul there and being able to count on these young guys. At number three, the Golden State Warriors. At number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. Right now, the Philadelphia 76ers are playing well. Kelly Oubre Jr. is doing his thing out there. They've made up more than enough with two 25-point-a-game scorers and Tyrese Maxey and, of course, the reigning and defending MVP of the league, Joel Hans Embiid, who was recently fined $35,000 by the NBA for his obscene, as it was put, celebration. It was the Degeneration X celebration from wrestling from the WWE and the former leader of the Generation X, or DX as they call it, Paul Levesque, better known to you as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, or Triple H, invited Joel Embiid to come to WrestleMania, as I like to call it, to possibly perform. It's right there in Philadelphia. The Eagles are winning. The Sixers are winning right now. And if they didn't have road games at that time, perhaps we'd see the often injured Joel Hans Embiid in the ring with Triple H, wearing Skechers. You know, he's still wearing underarms. I see them in the game. I'm like, oh, what's going on there? Because I thought he signed with Skechers. But you never know. Maybe he'll avoid the shooting woes that Julius Randle is having right now in New York. But at number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. At number five, welcome to the Power 10 this week, Atlanta Hawks. I am surprised by this. But again, it's early. Quinn Snyder has them playing good basketball. And shout out to my man, Rayford Trey Young, who just recently had a street Named after him, Trey Young Drive in his hometown of Norman, Oklahoma. That's right in front of his new Young Family Athletic Center, giving back to the community. So shout out to Trey. Do your thing, my guy. Helping your team to be number five in our Power 10 this week. And number six, the team that I said is going to make the playoffs this year, the Orlando Magic. Again, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner. I love their wings. I love the way that Markel Fultz is playing in his minutes. Cole Anthony's definitely bought into his role off the bench. So has Mortz Wagner, who's a guy who's great at Michigan, but is a role player in the NBA. Why do I say role player? Every player plays a role. Stop it. His role coming off the bench is something he's bought into. And I like the Orlando Magic. They're another young team. They could be in the mold of the Memphis and OKC. Be on the lookout. And number six this week, the Orlando Magic. And number seven, the Dallas Mavericks. I talked about Derek Lively last week. Kyrie Andrew Irving playing basketball well, of course. Them still figuring out what they need to do. But Luke Lamar, he's the third person in NBA history to record three triple-doubles starting the season off. And they're all 30-point triple-doubles. And was averaging, before the recording of this podcast, 34 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Now still at 32, second in the league in scoring behind Donovan Mitchell. But those numbers are MVP-like. 
And right now, they're playing a very high clip. So shout out to the Dallas Mavericks at number seven in our power team this week. And at number eight, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know I talked about Booty Gobert, but somehow, some way, they figured out a rotation that works. And I think that he's more comfortable in that lineup. And they're playing defense. It looked like an awkward fit, but now they have the pieces and parts to compete against the Wimbenyamas and the Chet Holmgrens in the West, as well as Nicola Germain. Although, it's still a problem. But at number eight, the T-Wolves. Shouts out to Anthony Edwards. I'm looking forward to rocking those sneakers, sir. At number nine, the Clippers going Clipper with the debut of James Edward Harden Jr. against the Knickerbockers. I'm looking forward to seeing how they incorporate that. Warren Ward and I kind of talked about Who's going to do what is only one basketball. Kawhi made that very clear in the post-game comment once they made the trade. It's going to be very interesting to see how that works out and how no one has called them a quote-unquote super team yet. Wonder why. But shouts out to Russie. There's a table for two there with Russell Westbrook as he, along with the hashtag he who shan't be named, are the only two players in NBA history to have scored 24,000 points, have 8,000 rebounds, and record 9,000 assists in their careers. That's it. Table for two. That's it. So congrats to that. And at number 10, the New Orleans Pelicans. I documented their injury situation right now when I talked about Jordan Hawkins earlier. And they're still there. Zion Williamson is not one of the injured, which is rare to say. So that's a good thing. And when they get healthy, I cannot imagine the push they're going to make in the West. But I can see it happening at number 10 this week. The New Orleans Pelicans. Before we get out of here, as I said earlier on the podcast, November 9th, 1993. Very special day in hip-hop culture. Very special day for me. Thinking about having Tribe Called Quest in my early university days on concert promo tour throughout Texas. And I was doing the promotion for it. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. You knew they were good. You didn't realize they were going to be Hall of Famers. Shout out to Missy Elliott. First FMC to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But the Tribe Called Quest and that tour date promo that I did and also having them actually come and speak in my class, the first ever university-accredited course on hip-hop culture at the University of Massachusetts Amherst before one of their concerts at the Mullen Center there uh, on campus was a big joy to me and something I will never forget. So shout out to Alicia He Muhammad, the late, great Malik Isaac Taylor, and of course, the artist formerly known as Jonathan William Davis, a.k.a. Q-Tip, a.k.a. I can't remember his Muslim name right off the rip, but I'll get it. Somebody remind me. And of course, enter the Wu-Tang, the 36 Chambers. And recalling the time that Method Man and I had a dunk contest in a loading dock of a club in Houston, having them on tour and winning a significant amount of money because, I mean, Method's like 6'3", 6'4". Trying to have a dunk contest against a kid who was still playing basketball. I'm like, it's not going to work. You have your profession, I do my thing. And then also, the only place where they ever got sun. When I say sun, I mean, we got chased from the venue by unruly fans in Houston on H-Town on the north side. Having bottles and rocks and guns and all kinds of stuff thrown and shot at us as we left the premises. And word to my son's mother, she will tell you this story because she was there at the back door and I said, don't even come out here. We're not going to be here long. And I was correct. But what you can do is come back again next week for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. So, so until then, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is the open run with Will Strickland. 
Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, sir. Easy.